Greetings, you've landed at the VUC, IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com for their support. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSIP.com, and you can go to GetOnSIP.com for a URL people can click to call you. We've been privileged over the last five years to be using the best conference bridge on the planet. Yes, I'm talking about ZipDX.com, full-color, full-featured, full-HD conference bridge. Our website, VUC.me on the web, is hosted by Bluehost.com. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. So what I'm talking about is called Duo and Allo. Oh, okay. So, so Sorry. Google I.O., they've just released a messenger that's a one-to-one encrypted end-to-end messenger, which appears to be a direct competitor for wire or WhatsApp. That sort of class of thing, and then there's Hello, which I Hello, 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 which I don't actually understand. <laughs> Somebody else is going to have to answer that. As opposed to Hello, Hello, by the way. Oh, I've got it the wrong way around. Hello is the the one to one, and Duo is Duo is the one on one video, and I think Hello is messaging. Duo is the FaceTime. You're right. <laughs> Hello. So from what I understood, the Duo would be. Um, some FaceTime competitor, and the other thing is more of an iMessage competitor. Now, I was expecting an RCS uh, announcement based on the Jive Mobile they bought six months ago or a year ago. It doesn't seem to be that thing yet. I suppose something's still coming, but that seems to be... So yeah. So the, the, the thing to understand here, in my view, is that this is just Google being Google. Um, it, this is... It's, and, and it... It's more about a turf war internally in Google than anything else. Like the, the WebRTC team got, uh, don't quote me on this, but I suspect they got fed up with, uh, with the Hangouts team telling them what to do and decided they wanted their own thing to play with. And they had a playground in AppRTC, which we've all used, but that wasn't slick enough. So they decided they wanted to build a real app and outdo the um, Hangouts team. And possibly get them, because I think Hangouts still licenses some mixing technology somewhere. And, and that, I think, that may get them out of that as well. So I, it, it, for me, it reads about mostly about internal Google politics rather than, I mean, yeah, and they, and they feel the need to be somewhere in that space as well. But, um, yeah. And the killer feature of Duo, does anyone know here? It's supposed to work on very shitty network conditions. Yeah, actually, that's not the, you're right, but that's not the one I was thinking of. The other killer feature, you're supposed to be with us, by the way. <laughs> ah, the knock-knock then. Sorry, Keith, yeah, uh, you see the person who's calling. Yeah, they reinvented early media. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, we don't want to talk, talk much more about Google, but thanks, Tim, that's actually yeah, sums Can we up. have an easy question now, please? Yeah. You want an easy well, question? On. Yeah, give us an easy one. Um, let's talk a little bit about what Simon was talking about. Fraud. What's new in fraud? Oh, Simon. The next thing. Well, do we listen to Simon again? I did a presentation on that earlier. I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm not talking about fighting fraud. I'm talking about what's going to be the next fraud. Anybody? Oh, Sandro, because he's, he's probably writing it. Let's give it back. That's hard for me to tell. I wouldn't know. <laughs> well, we're probably seeing your dangerous demo tomorrow, won't we? Possibly. Yeah. Ah. Dangerous demos. So my all-time favorite fraud, which I got hit by, was a bunch of guys in Turkey who were 
ringing up a voicemail system where I hadn't put the hadn't limited the length of the call back. I'm trying to remember how it worked, but basically, I had a, a, a voicemail box completely full of um, Turkish news reports from the Turkish television, and I was completely mystified about what this was. But basically. They were trying to make sure they didn't get the two-second silence, which would cause it to hang up. And they were on a plan where for every hour they were on the phone, they got a free minute. So basically, they were, they were crucifying my voicemail service in order to rack up the odd spare minute on their mobile phones. And that just tells you that it's like, you know, the amount of effort people will go to to get free things is scary. Yeah, I've got one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we, very, very quickly, we had one where a 10-year-old kid in New Zealand found out that if he got an SMS sent to him, he got, this is on three, I think, in New Zealand, he got a little tiny bit of credit. And he also found out that the old true phone uh, provisioning thing uh, sent you SMSs. So he proceeded to try and send himself 100,000 SMSs from the true phone provisioning thing. You remember this, don't you? And... David Middleton found it after about the first thousand or so, and so we stopped him and uh, contacted his well, his grandmother, who was mortified, and uh, offered to pay. And we said, "Well, uh, can we offer him a job in about uh, eight years' time, please?" Should have sent him some money, William. Yeah, so I've got a little bit more information on that uh, voicemail attack. It was, they were sending a refer back, and then since most systems authenticate the outbound routing based on the user who it's involved in, they've realized if they were able to call into a conference, a voicemail server, an IVR or something, that you would route back out with system permissions on a bunch of different systems. Right. Any other fraud stories? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing whatsoever to do with VoIP fraud, actually. Who's heard of CEO fraud? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, you, you pretend to be the CEO. Yeah, I, I was at the office the other week and uh, had an email from our operations manager saying, you just sent me the below email, which obviously I hadn't, but it, it actually looked like I had um, until our resident pedant looked at it somewhat more closely. They'd actually set up a domain name that looked incredibly like ours. I think they'd... Um, was it an I for a one or something like that, or an I for an L? Oh, that was it. Yeah, two V's instead of two V's instead of a W. So it, it did look like my email address. But they did, the, the point to make is they'd actually gone to the trouble of registering a domain name. They'd mimicked or found out and mimicked our internal uh, email username structure. They knew who was who internally in terms of who would process payments. Um, and this dialogue went back and forth all day about this, this payment that I wanted made. Um, and it, it was quite, just quite fascinating, the, the trouble that they'd gone to for what would have been quite a bit of money if we'd fallen for it, but um, you know, thankfully we didn't. Which tells you that federated systems with weak authentication is a bad idea. Yeah, there, w there was a lot, uh, and still is, a lot going on like that. So I had a lot of clients call me and, and ask me about if, if I came across this, and it's very common. Um, one thing that I think will uh, come up is, um, in the future is um, there's been a lot of... Uh, is it this one? There's been a lot of um, this DNS amplification... Um, 
um, denial of service, distributed denial of service, where the attackers spoof the IP address of the victim sending um, DNS um, uh, messages, DNS requests, and the responses from the DNS servers across the world would flood the single IP address, which is where the source IP address would. And, and this is not limited to just DNS. So once uh, DNS servers start fixing this, people started fixing this, people, these attackers switched to NTP which also works on UDP. And I think once NTP starts getting fixed, we're gonna get the same problem with UDP, uh, with SIP UDP. Uh, because SIP also just responds um, uh, to SIP requests, and it can respond with larger packets. So it can be also abused like this, like many other UDP protocols. But there's, there are a lot of SIP devices out there which respond to you, so I think it's a viable, it might come up later on. It's all about the amplification factor in that, in terms of the return they can get. The, the bigger the packet they can get out for the small packet going in, um, the better, which is why DNS was obviously well on the list, but they will work down that list, as Sandra says. Okay, we're going to move on to another topic that's dear and, near and dear to me. Uh, other than world peace, we're going to start with Matt here. Other than world peace, what would be your most fervent wish for the next few years into any related technology at all? Matt? I'm actually going to be rather boring, I think, with my answer, and I'm sure that gives everybody more time to think of something profoundly more interesting. Uh, you know, I almost said Nat, uh, echoing Ule. But I have to say that I, I think what we still get hit with, at least in the asterisk issue tracker, are just bad application level gateways that take the SIP packets and despite the best efforts of asterisk and free switch and Camellio, mangle the crap out of them and make a whole host of use cases just completely dead. Um, so I, I would like those to either get better or just preferably go away. Yes, that is, that is one solution to the problem. <laughs> you have a, wi a fervent wish, Sandro? I wish I, ha I had an easier job. <laughs> that works. I wish I had a harder job, actually. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I pretty much echo whatever Sandro said because it's, it's tough for us as well. But I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm working in a right now in a, in an ecosystem that is actually very, very dynamic and heading in, in an exciting direction, which is WebRTC. So I think we're already doing cool stuff. It's already a, an exciting moment to live in as a, as a person working in this business. And I'm really just looking forward to, to, to whatever will come, come out of this. So um, I want to be surprised, let's say, let's say like that. We live in exciting times, right, Sebastian? That's right, yeah. So I'm coming from an operator, and my wish would be that um, as operators we would focus more on actual um, user stories, user use cases, rather than just uh, putting new technology out that has been developed by technolo technologists and kind of the interface built by technologists. So I think we need to focus more on the user, and I hope that's um, going to happen in the next, the next years. I would hope to see a bit more um, 
let's say vertical uh, um, implementations that focus more on, for example, people that are uh, uh, hearing impaired or have other impairments or even other use cases. Like there, there's a startup in the Netherlands, I think, that is focusing on, let's say, a WhatsApp for doctors. Um, there's lots of markets that could require really specialized solutions that are just not available now. And it might not be um, for the very big players to go into those markets because the money might not be sufficient, but there might be enough market for uh, small startups to do something cooler. IPv6. <laughs> <laughs> IPv6. Next. Next. Well, uh, just to mention that I'm actually working with a very cool project now uh, enabled by Asterisk, which is uh, actually cell phone telephony for deaf and hearing impaired. When they call you on a cell phone, they'll get your voice transcribed live during the call as text. So that's a really, really cool thing we're working with. But my wish is that no one will ever more call me about DTMF fixes for asterisks. Uh, I wish DTMF was dead, and I really, really tried getting it out of scope for WebRTC. And I really, really hope I will never, ever hear a talk at Camellia World about T38 faxing in WebRTC. <laughs> Thank you. For sure. Oh, yeah. Same museum. Here, here. I'm really excited about what's going on in the um, containerization space and specifically software-defined data centers. Um, there's some challenges there around security and the networking piece and, and the management piece, but, but the foundations are in and there's some really, really exciting projects and there's some big money being, being thrown at startups. But aspirationally, something I, you know, I'm hoping for is that um, industry, and I think it has to come from the open source side of, side of industry, will come up with some solution to the continual erosion of civil, civil liberties, um, you know, end-to-end -end encryption as a de facto standard in everything that we use um, online. Yeah, um, I, I've kind of got my, my wish, so it's a bit difficult, which is it was going to be that Apple will do WebRTC, but they're going to. It's in, going to be in Safari, so that's kind of done. Um, that's nice. So we, we have to get, get a bit more meta, and, and my current wish is I just wish that people would learn from other people's mistakes. They just don't, and, and it's so... And particularly the IoT world is so full of... But I'm talking about this tomorrow, but you'll hear more of my rant on this, but, but the IoT world is just full of people making horrendous mistakes that are entirely avoidable. I thought you were referring to the American elections. I'm sorry. <laughs> About learning, never mind. <laughs> right, well, I'm going to go into something a little bit more technical. What I want to see are they some... Demos. Yeah, apart from that, well, everyone's going to see that tomorrow. Um, some proper agents or bots that can sit in between me and my myriad of, uh, of various communication services. I have one of... Uh, multiple... Uh, channels and you don't everything. answer any of them. Yeah, well, strangely, you should say that, Randy. That may be because I don't always want to talk to you. Well, that's and, problem uh, of duo. And this is what I want my bot to do. I want my bot to monitor all my channels and um, sit in between me and the person, people who want to talk to me. Or oh, you want Iodum? Yeah, and be a gatekeeper, and kind of like Iron Man's suit, but. Um, yeah, you want to go. Mr. Bodie is brushing his teeth at the moment. 
exactly. Well, not not like that. And so that um, if it is really, really, really important, you can always get through to me. But if it's just Randy saying, I'm on my walk by the river today, as I do every day, um, I'm probably not particularly interested, if it, particularly if I'm working hard. So you want something that's like the girlfriend extension, the ex-girlfriend extension of Asterisk and the... Uh well, that's right. I owed him. Uh, and it's got to be intelligent. So it knows that when my wife is at home and I'm at home, then certain types of traffic uh, must not come... Th- she's not, not in the back of the room, is she? She may be. Uh, yeah, something that warns me um, when certain things are in certain places and I have to be careful. Whew. You're asking a lot. It's live. Being an operator on the mobile side, I think uh, what would be nice is uh, if uh, even more people could engage in the open source side of things for things that used to be very closed in the in the old days. And I think through our project, we've seen that a lot of the different nodes in these uh, networks, uh, you can demystify them and actually do things that could be interesting. And going forward to 5G and so on, I think uh, that's a great opportunity to get involved in the game and uh, start new projects. Oh, forget 5G, what about 4G? <laughs> or oh, 3G. So James, I think Google's Allo is making some progress on that. Machine learning smart responses. Hurrah. <laughs> um, I would probably say I would love to see some more progress on technologically insulated industries, specifically legal fields. And I know we're seeing progress on the medical fields, starting to get some of our, uh, even the last few generations of technologies uh, moving into those fields. I would love to be able to see T38 and faxing finally retired. Another round of applause for that. Um, I'm going to go to the audience now uh, and ask, first of all, Alex, I know he's come. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, Coming back to what Tim said, making old mistakes come back again. Um, Both me and Simon are engaged now in internet exchange points where we exchange a lot of traffic. And if you look at any of those, you'll see the traffic growth. The internet is growing more than before. We have one internet. This morning we heard a talk about the industrial internet, and that was totally separate from the internet. The mobile industry did this. They talked about the mobile internet. Vodafone in Sweden tried to force me to use a BlackBerry with Vodafone Mail and Vodafone Web, only approved websites. Did it take off? No right? We have one internet and it keeps growing. And anyone who tries to define a separate internet on separate technology on an isolated island is doomed to die. And why do they keep making these mistakes? That baffles me, really. And uh, James, are you playing that game too? The industrial internet? Definitely Definitely not. On the subject of, um, did you ask what what is it that we would like to see die? Quick yeah, one word. Well, yeah. yeah. What would we like to see die? And uh, it's clearly my microphone. No, is G729. It's nasty. Let's kill it off. Let, let's do away with it. I've I, I just thought Spectrum. I'd like a much more interesting Spectrum policy than, than having to pay a billion to get you know, even a slice. Yeah, well, 
Well, well, we've got that. We've got license shared uh, access yeah. coming, and we've got uh, license free, so multi fire, uh, and then we've got the the other bits and pieces. Um, TV white space. Yeah, TV. Well, the problem with TV white space is that there are no devices, but, so, so but you but you can get you can get the spectrum. So that whole thing is going to be really exciting if it happens. If the major players don't manage to kill it. Yeah, uh, and uh, with people like Google behind license shared access in the states, it is going it's going to work. And if you if you haven't heard of this before, just go and Googleize it. License shared access, the three point five. Oh my God! The that's band forty two for those who like to do GSME type bands uh, is now live in the United States, I believe, isn't it? So anybody who wants Spectrum and you've got the right bits and pieces, you can have it. Um, so brilliant for small cells. Anybody who wants to run their own small cell, you can get the Spectrum now in the United States. But all you have to do is twist the light, apparently, and you get more channels now. Really? No. Okay. You guys don't keep up with technology at all. Okay. Can we do a, a couple more very quick? Uh, oh, no, no. Oh, I, oh Alec. I, yeah, there it is. Uh, very few. Vanishingly few. Um, well, actually, I wanted to speak to his point uh, a little bit, uh, his idea about this procession of bots that uh, follow uh, kind of business rules and to uh, extract uh, and define various behaviors in certain situations. Um, I, it made me th tangentially think of kind of taking that idea and inverting it, uh, maybe taking like a photo negative of it. I still think... The, one of the most debilitating and crippling factors in my own life is information overload and the kind of Bayesian or organic social solutions to it that are being proposed are curated in all the wrong ways. Uh, I would still like a better solution. I guess I would liken it to the way that dogs can just turn themselves off and sleep until something interesting happens. I want a more parsimonious filter for that. Uh, rather than so, rather than taking the inclusive approach of trying to pluck out, I'm more interested in excluding. And um, do, do, dogs have a good way of doing that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the important thing is that that the bot or agent has to work for you, not for the government or or for Microsoft or anybody like that. So, anybody have any questions or comments? Take advantage of the fact that we have this incredible group in so many different ways, and on so many different levels. It's gone again. See, we have a well, bot yeah, that turns James on. Yeah. Oh, there's one there. Whilst we're waiting, we could probably do a few more one-word answers of things that we want to oh, see right. killed off. <laughs> no. No, 5G's coming, but, it's, but we haven't really solved 4G yet, have we? Open source 4G, we want to do it, don't we? And we're not quite there yet. So my question was about the 5G and uh, what's the biggest problem you see with this uh, technology? It's going to be... <laughs> Spectrum. I get it. Yeah, but Spectrum's being, being solved. Let's have an argument about that. Spectrum's coming. Trust me. I, I don't believe that we can continue for a long time, 5G, 6G, 7G, to continue to be service provider business driven business model architecture driven mm. uh, they're trying to pro really save their business model from disruption 
but they're going to be eaten up by the internet. There are a lot of other things happening outside the carrier space. We have LoRaWANs, we have all kinds of networks being built, and those carrier networks will have to back off and take a different role, especially if we can fire up the air ourselves. So where is the business model when we can do that? They have to rethink instead of protecting their own old ideas, because the ideas are 20, 30 year old, they have to rethink a lot. There are very interesting carrier perspectives in the coming market, but I think 5G is about preservation more than innovation. Anyone else out there? Can you hear me? Yeah, I was just going to say 5G. (laughs) (laughs) Come in, come in. Censorship. Yeah, 5G is not, not that different from 4G. It's just kind of 4G that goes faster, isn't it? That's a contentious thing. So, so actually, on 5G, what 5G majorly lacks, as far as I can see, is the ability to route packets locally. So if I'm on a cell with, with my agricultural equipment and I want to talk directly to it, it that, that will route back through the core network. And if, I'm, if one of them is roaming, it'll route back through a core network in another country as well. And that's just insane. Um, and, and, and I don't see that problem being addressed. You talk about low latency, but it doesn't appear to know how to keep it within a cell or within a group of cells yeah. for billing reasons. Yeah, forget billing. Um, um, one of the big advantages of running your own uh, radio infrastructure is that you can do things on the edge. So you've got access. You can, you can run applications on your edge. Um, and you can ask for examples now, wouldn't you? Um, but anyway, I think that most of the people in this room in, I don't know, three, four years' time, you'll be running your own LTE networks, I think. You're going to say, no, no, that's far too difficult. But I think you will be. But that means Wi-Fi is going to be dead? Like... Um, well, I bloody well hope so. Um, uh, if you compare LTE um, radio performance against uh, 802.11, you'll find that the LTE completely spanks the uh, 802.11. It's much, much better. And There's a new, uh... There was actually some news on the 802.11 spec. So they made some progress recently on a uh, faster version of it, but they're saying that the range is greatly reduced now. Yeah. What do you think about wires? We'll still see some, or will be everyone wireless with everything? Well, wires, well, yeah, I have a problem with copper wires sometimes. You know, when, you know, dear old BT in UK, uh, big clue, when is high-speed fiber internet, not high-speed fiber internet? Answer, when it's delivered on copper. That's a clue. Maybe. I was expecting Tim to have a go yeah. at that. Maybe interesting to know, tomorrow there's going to be a, a dangerous demo with some open source LTE stack oh. from some people in the back. That yeah, at least one. A bit more. At least and one, perhaps two. Yeah, so this is just a technology they're using, but uh, they will demonstrate some uh, voice over LTE implementation. There's two parties here that know exactly how to do all that, and I'm not one of them. I think um, we have to combine what uh, James is saying with what Simon said earlier, we're going to operate networks in a new way. Uh, I've been working with social care alarms for a while, and the vendors there think one network, and failover is turning the radio off, moving to cable, turning cable off, moving to another radio. Uh, We will see a lot of different radios. 
And while they're speak, speaking about the human interfacing radios, the Internet of Things guys are speaking about radios that consume as little power as possible because the battery has to last for 10 years. When we design the boxes, the applications, and the nodes, we will have multiple network connections in parallel. 99% of them will be 128-bit addresses. Uh, but we have to design multi-homing on a client level, and that's an application-level challenge that is starting now. So it's not going to be one radio. It's going to be a lot of radios with IP over everything, and I don't care. Yeah, I, I just want... Uh, uh, I don't know if, if any of you haven't looked at things like Sigfox and LoRaWAN. Maybe you should, because they're interesting. Um, they're they're uh, wide-range, um, low-bandwidth networks. Too low-bandwidth to run voiceover, but you could certainly run messaging over them. Um, they're a very interesting topic, but they are both fundamentally flawed for the reason that Ola was just mentioning, that they don't run IP end-to-end. -end. They run their own little protocols, which you then unpack at each end, and they're not pure IP. And without being pure IP, they're doomed long-term to failure. There's a space for them right now, but long-term, somebody comes out with an IP-supporting competitor, they'll walk all over them. Quick follow-up here, actually. Doesn't a lot of this uh, depend upon the regulations and the lawmakers allowing this to happen and the change? For instance, if like Bell Canada or Deutsche Telekom decides not to do NGN, even though they already have, doesn't that restrict everybody else's access? Yeah, it does. And, and the big problem we've got in certain countries, particularly in North America, is that the big telcos have got such a huge political lobby that they, they virtually um, dictate... Um, the legislation, and that is a big problem. Uh, but I suspect things could be just about to change because all of a sudden we've got this open, big open source movement coming from below, and all of a sudden we can do our own communication. So um, perhaps there may be an opportunity to have put alternative ideas into the field. But isn't Uber almost an exact one-to-one uh, -one case study? They came in, deregulated the entire taxi market, and they're being spanked around all over North America at the very least with what they can and can't do now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. What we need is the Uber equivalent of, for mobile, don't we? We have it in France. I was called... Um, we actually have a huge opportunity in Sweden now that we're trying to grab... We managed, after years of fighting, to kill, and I mean kill, the DAB radio. So now we have that spectrum, and we're really trying to come up with cool ideas on how to use it before the telcos discover what happened and try to grab it in front of us. So kill DAB radio, and you can have a lot of spectrum to play around with. Those Follow Swedes. Sweden. Yeah, you Swedes. You're absolutely ruthless, aren't you? You kill DAB and you, you do the... Uh, and the Eurovision as well. I mean, it's... Oh. Anyway, going back to this debate about uh, Wi-Fi versus LTE. Uh, one of the great advantages, the big plus factors of, uh, of LTE, um, sorry, 4G, um, is this business of authentication. You, you get off the plane, you land somewhere, you turn on your phone, and it just kind of works. But uh, in Wi-Fi land, you, you walk in through the door, and somebody gives you a piece of paper with a Wi-Fi key? Come on. I mean, it's, it's just 
not what uh, not what we need, is it? And, and the captive gateway doesn't let you in on every browser, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, and you know what, Hotspot 2.0, it just doesn't work. Well, sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. It's not consistent. I, I just told the story to somebody, I can't remember who, right here, uh, laboriously entering the, the uh, codes on this paper to get on Wi-Fi, and I do have uh, roaming on, uh, on 3G, so as soon as I filled out laboriously again, filling, you know, username, password, click, and then there's a DNS error because the 4G is looking up the local server that's on the gateway, and it can't find it. So it says well, you, there's no way to reach this. So I have to turn off... Uh, the uh, the radio the LTE you have to turn off data in order to get on the Wi-Fi, which obviously is not I don't think what the original intention of all this stuff is should be transparent, right? Yeah, but the the downside of of LTE is that if you're not very careful, you'll end up with an enormous I mean vast bill um, unless you. Part of it's your own LTE. Well. Yeah, but you just talked about getting off a plane. So the first thing that happens when I get off a plane is I get a message from my carrier telling me that if I switch data on, it will cost me a pound a byte or something. Um, and that if I'm, you know, it's all of that stuff. And then when they do enable it, they'll route it back through so, through a server that's 5,000 miles away because that's how the billing works. So this, uh, this is all fixable, but I'm just saying that LTE isn't a panacea because it's currently run by people who have a very uh, centralized view of the world. And the centralized view of the world is in some way, in some part, derived from legal intercept and billing. Those are the key things that we have to get changed people's minds about. Legal intercept means that everything has to go through a central point, otherwise you can't intercept it. And billing has the same effect, that you can't charge for it unless you're measuring it through your billing engine. So those things, actually the way that those things are constructed inevitably result in a network architecture which is hideous. Yep, but don't worry, I won't charge you a, 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 a pound a byte when you come on my LTE, Tim. Oh, do you want to go? I was going to say, to implement what you were talking about with Wi-Fi, you'd have to implement a diameter, which is basically in the IMS now, on everybody's Wi-Fi connection, and just all of the embedded Wi-Fi things and properly configuring diameter well, with... Again, isn't it? Uh, where do you get your cryptographic key variables? Exactly. Yeah. From the NSA. <laughs> yes, from the NSA. <laughs> can, I, can I ask a question? Okay. I'll do that first. No. Oh, right, eh? Thank you. Just uh, I just want to ask a question. Um, what about identity? If you're turning on your computer on a different Wi-Fi network, how do we know that you is you? And also, back to what you talked about, end-to-end um, -end encryption. How do you know that there's no man in the middle? So what do you envision for identity in the future? Well, Who lays uh, the man in the middle? <laughs> Uh, for Literally. I mean, there, there, there was a lot of questions, so we could have a two-day conference around that. Yeah. There's a lot of exciting stuff happening around identity right now. Uh, but as uh, Tim pointed out, in some cases, legal things blur the technology, and people believe that identity always have to include social security number and proper identification. <laughs> But we have the right to have multiple personas. We have the right to act in ways that no one knows. If I talk with someone on the train, no one knows that that happened. No one knows who talked to whom. 
so there has to be cases where identity is not involved, and that's equally important to cases where we can have a proper identity. So this is a very complex area, but the fun stuff is it's an exciting area, a lot of things happening. Um, the IETF is really exploding with all kinds of new ways of thinking. I think before Snowden, we were locked into very old, traditional ways of thinking about security, which meant that we didn't think about it at all. Um, but right now, a lot of new things is happening, but it's identity is an important question. Middleman, yeah, another hot topic. Um, if we limit the questions to, for instance, TLS, uh, there's a lot of TLS proxies out there, which is a topic, a favorite topic of mine to hate and wanting to get rid of. And uh, there are a lot of solutions being worked on. One is trust and first use, much like SSH. You all know SSH. You log into a server and SSH will warn you the next time you log in if the keys change, saying, hmm, this is not the same person you talked with before. Uh, another way is using DNS. We have DNS SEC, a signed, trusted, distributed, cacheable database to use for this. So we can actually make sure that the DNS tells you what certificate or what CA to expect at the other end when you set up a connection. So instead of verifying with a bunch of files installed by someone else in your computer, you actually verify with information provided by the other party, the party you're trying to connect to. And um, that's one of the tools we're looking at for making sure that there's no middleman and TLS connections, but there is still some work to do in that area. Identity and middleman. I, th I think we want to be careful what we wish for to, to some extent. Encryption for the benefit of its consumer or the two consumers in a, in a conversational transaction, bring it on. Um, the more, the better. When it comes to identity verification, I think that has to be relevant to the user and current standards sort of focus on uh, strict, rigorous, reliable third party um, identification. I think we probably need a little bit more focus on casual identification. You know, so I can identify that the, you know, the person at the other end is my girlfriend, but nobody else that happens to be reviewing the PCAP of that, that conversation in the government search engine can. We're just two anonymous parties with an encrypted, uh, an encrypted session. And given what's going on in the in the legislative, legislative um, space, and certainly in the UK, the absolute inevitability of this government search engine, um, with an imposition on communication providers to log very loosely worded um, and very dangerously phrased um, data. We don't want to enslave ourselves further. Uh, yeah, on, on that note, I, when the legislation was first, um, draft legislation for that was first published, I amused myself by writing a, a plug-in for my router that would collect uh, communication um, records. And, uh, and I did it as an experiment for a week, so I had my router connecti collecting all of the IP addresses that, I'd, that had been accessed from my house. Um, 
And I thought, well, I'd just do a little little analysis of it and see what came out. And I had, I had the firm intention of making the entire thing public, including the data set. But when I reviewed it, I came to the conclusion that I couldn't make the data set public because it revealed too much about me. So it told it, it, it told exactly when I was in and out of the house, which is not too surprising, but you just look at the traffic levels and you could see. It told you um, where my kids are, because you could see the traffic to their schools. Um, it told you which inst financial institutions I, I work with or for or at um, or bank with. So you could tell which financial institutions. You could tell who my employer was. Like all of those things were immediately capturable from that, from that week of traffic. And you look at that and you think, well, okay, that's maybe with a court order. I'm happy that a judge and a policeman can see this. But I absolutely don't want it in the hands of criminals. And then the, the question you ask yourself is, are the people who are holding this data capable of keeping it out of the hands of criminals for as long as that data is still uh, painful for me? And the answer is absolutely not. Like, they have a track record of being incapable of doing that. And, and that, that bothers me tremendously. So um, it's somewhat off your point, but we need to be a little bit careful. And I, I, I take the point that the more strongly authenticated you are centrally, the bigger that risk is for those. We need to turn that way. Yeah, we need to do that end, but uh, have you not got another microphone? I can get really enthusiastic about ephemeral blockchain-based, I'm looking at Odvar here at the back, you can see his face light up, uh, blockchain-based um, um, authentication systems, ones that are not... Um, owned by an institution or a government and that just live out there in the internet and they just kind of uh, morph and change, but they have an audit trail so that they're reasonably secure as well. Something like that is... I would trust something like that more than I suspect I would trust my own government. Never put three Brits one next to each other because James will always pick the... <laughs> So I don't know if you guys might have a question for the audience, if that, if that works. Um, how many of you characterize yourselves as developers primarily versus system administrators? So developers in the room, it does depend on how you define it, but how many, how many characterize themselves more as operators or system administrators? So a little bit kind of close to evenly split, right? So one of Simon's points on containerization and really some of the software-defined networking and really just infrastructure as code, um, there's been sort of this weakening of the barrier between developer and operator such that the line gets very fuzzy. Um, and from what one of the things that we've been seeing is that the technology for these things has actually started to outpace the organizational practices around development and operation. So I guess a question for the panel, for those of you who are either developers or operators or work in organizations that tend to blend these things, how has this been impacting you? We've um, taken on a senior hire, many of you might know actually, Cal Leeming, um, started with us on Monday specifically to um, you know take us through this journey and uh, you know get us away from um, you know what is it 200 plus VMs and then spinning up new ones every time there's a new application and trying to maintain trying to maintain them all and getting us to the stage of you know simmered on a laptop or simmered in a data center or simmered in multiple data centers as as the need um, you know dictates and that is that is hugely exciting but actually, from a from a development cycle point of view, it makes the developers work harder. 
it makes the operators in between somewhat redundant. And, and actually, the you know the ultimate solution is they all sort of merge into one. Um, you know, the developer, the development guys are obviously maintaining their own code, but they're also more in charge of um, you know deploying it. And that's that flows across sort of multiple areas. You know, into what I was talking about earlier with 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 network. Um, you know, you think that technology gets more and more complicated. You get more specialism coming in, but actually, as the tools are catching up, we're kind of going back to a scenario where you've got people owning things end to end and and controlling and managing the whole infrastructure underlying them, or at least a partition of it. Yeah, I could just comment on that. I think in our project we've also seen that uh, virtualization, containerization, all these new technologies are new things to master, and to do it right, it takes a lot of extra energy. So there's uh, quite a bit of upfront investment that you need to put into this to get anything back. And uh, sometimes that's easy to forget. And if you don't put that effort into it, uh, it will actually bite you quite hard. You can create a bigger and quicker mess if you don't uh, spend efforts uh, understanding the new technologies and what they can do for you and what you need to take care of, I think. That's our experience. So I've seen it a bit where organizations and the uh, order of magnitude of the time scale is coming at conflict because you start hearing a lot of technology moving very, very rapidly. If Google Chrome releases something, suddenly everybody out there now has to update quickly for whatever changed in the browser. But there are a lot of organizations that are built on uh, managerial approval of actions, and those don't scale very well when you have a development team who's pushing hundreds of commits and changes per day because you can't have a single individual be fully aware and conscious of all of the side effects of each of the changes, and yet still be in the middle of that uh, approval workflow. Questions then, uh, maybe from, as it was one of the wishes around, you know, to see more openness inside the telecom, but the question would be now, can outside do something to disturb this and I'm not saying about the telecom, but it would be like telecom plus regulation because they work kind of together and sometimes you feel are the same given the uh, outcome, like new regulation kind of protect the whole market. So what you would suggest for, you know, us, the people, what we should do, like, I don't know, go to our PM representative or should we act somehow or we just... Uh, hire Sandra and uh, kick some flooding to their net so they are out of the service and then the telecom will, the regulator will say guys you can't really do anything let the other guy do also telecom so I know it's hard to do it from inside and I know like Sebastian tried for many years as I know would be the outside because the consumer complain but then you know they get cheaper and cheaper prices and then they are happy with that all of they are monitored and so on would this like Tech community, let's put in, not everyone outside there, but tech community, which is more knowledgeable, it's Alex. can do something. That's an Alex question, that one. He's gone. Um, you know, it's not about cheaper comms. It's all about better comms that, that we want. Um, we don't necessarily want to pay less for everything all the time. We just want it to get better. And bizarrely enough, I'm sitting here, and, uh, and you're just talking about what can we do should we go to our local member of parliament and things like, well, I'm sitting here and I just get a, an email from my local member of parliament saying, by the way, have you seen what's just appeared in the Queen's speech in UK? 
and uh, looks like we've actually managed to do something. We're getting um, guaranteed um, broadband, the ro legal right to broadband in UK of a minimum of 10 megabits per second in every household. What do you think of that then? Was that before or after the mention of the porn filter for uh, kids? What? Yeah, well, you didn't read the speech, I guess. No, I'm... <laughs> I think the devil's always in the detail with these things, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, you've got to I implement it. And, uh, and, and BT's lawyers are going to have a wonderful time. It's like the, the mobile infrastructure project, which was one of the government's great uh, plans. Uh, let's uh, st let, let's uh, cover every uh, mobile uh, infrastructure black spot in the UK, all 480 of them. They contracted uh, Arkiva to, to build macro cells to cover these. And uh, out of the 480 uh, not spots, they managed to cover 37. Well done, government. Yeah, my sense on these things is, is, is somewhat um, cynical. And they, um, they tend to have a habit of benefiting the, the incumbent because, frankly, the incumbent outwits the government or the regulator at, at every turn. Um, you know, looking in, in the UK, it's, it's easy to um, cast aspersions of collusion, but the reality is that the incumbent has more lawyers than Ofcom have staff. Yeah, that's true, but we mustn't give up. We, we can disrupt, we can do things. Remember what we've done over the last 10 years with fixed telecommunications, with voice over IP. And a lot of it, the people who've done all that disruption are kind of here in this room. We've got Asterisk, we've got FreeSwitch, we've got Camera Elio. The effect that uh, these open source projects have had on the world of telecoms have been absolutely enormous. So don't forget that. We are doing things. And the next, next bit we're going to do collectively, I think, is mobile. We're going to get into open source cellular. We're going to start running our own cellular network components, not the complete thing, perhaps. So certain bits like the authentication, you may have to rely on somebody who's kind of plugged into the legacy system to do that for you and give you perhaps the odd SIM card here and there with the old API plug. Um, but um, So we're still protecting the incumbents. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. Ouch. Yeah. By the way, James, uh, with regard to that, uh, also all of this open source stuff it puts pressure, price pressure, downward pricing on a lot of things. Not that the price is the most important thing, but you know, I've lived in Europe for years, and some of my first phone calls to the United States cost fifty dollars just for a few minutes. Today, of course, they've been free since Asterisk, since I discovered Asterisk, and I could be using any number of other things. And today, just to prove what I'm saying is absolutely true, my carrier today and our ISP, we have free unlimited dialing, of course it's VoIP, to over 100 destinations. My cell in my pocket, I'm f roaming free for 35 days in Europe and the United States and Canada. I also have, I can call anywhere in any country when I'm in France, I can call these 100 countries unlimited all the time. China, the US, Canada, Germany even. <laughs> Other than certain, you know, like Afghanistan, which is a little expensive. But this, this pricing pressure, I think, is important because if you remember very early on at the Astrocon, uh, maybe eight years ago, someone put up a slide showing a gas station with uh, gas at zero cents or something like that a gallon and saying someday the minutes are going to be free. And basically they sort of are. 
I'd say another thing on the political side of things is getting involved, but for the same reason that everyone comes to conferences like this. You've, you find somebody up here presenting a technical or a real-world example type presentation, and then you have 100 people or so who now understand and can better under, uh, grasp that particular problem or a solution to that problem. There, are there any politicians in the crowd? <laughs> that would be nice. If not, oh, yeah. <laughs> If not, who's going to tell them and relay the day-to-day -day problems and the day-to-day -day advances in the technology? Because if they're not coming to conferences and technical conferences, they don't know that this stuff exists. It's a good point that we really do need bridges in every country, some gateway between politics and lawmaking and technology. And, you know, I, these, these technology czars it doesn't, don't seem to work anywhere ever, do they? I can't think of a good example of somebody who's actually done anything. We've got to be careful when you, you're talking about free comms. Oh, that's okay. okay. So, uh, they're not totally free. What you mean is bundled. It's flat rate. Yeah, it's flat rate. Uh, no, so of you're course still, it's flat still rate. paying the money for the network uh, access, but you're not paying per minute. Absolutely. Which is subtly different. And you know, you know how much free, it costs uh, at wholesale to uh, terminate a, a minute of, to a mobile device? I mean, it's, it's around half a penny per Per minute. I mean, it's so small, it's almost negligible. So um, the, the bit that costs more is the billing. So let's yeah. just flat rate it, engineer right. out the billing. I've got a comment on that, but should we go this way first? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because I wanted to, to go back to, to one of the earlier points just, just for a second, and it was related to the, to, to the, to the great uh, things that actually open source uh, applications like uh, the ones that you've mentioned have provided. But I think that especially in terms of of, of telecommunication of that source, that's that's only partly going to matter if you do not, if we do not apply the same considerations to codecs as well. Because we've mentioned G729, for instance, before, and you yeah, mentioned... Yeah, let's kill it. Yeah, kill no, it of course, now. and I completely agree. And I mean, also the having, let's say, an open source uh, cell phone and things like that, it's hard if you if, if you have to to still uh, also provide all, those, all of those codecs that in cell phones are going to be required and so on. And I think in that respect, WebRTC has greatly helped because since the beginning they've tried to push codecs like Opus, which has gained much, uh, much following at the moment, and VP8, which has only been marginally successful with, in contrast to H264, which is still out there, I think. But in principle, I guess, if we could actually get rid of those constraints, also from a regulation perspective, it would be much easier, and it would be easier to get the openness that Daniel actually advocated before. Just on pricing. Sorry, am I all right, Daniel? Yeah. Um, my sense is consumer price pressure is, is gone. It's, it's over. Um, if I look at um, our own business and the, the example James gave of um, mobile termination rates, you know, back a few years ago we had a bit of fun and games with, with operators outwitting the regulator and they were up and down between sort of 15 and 30p every, every few weeks. They're now just over half a, half a penny a minute. But what does that actually mean? The, you know, the regulator will talk to the press and say how they've driven, driven prices down in the interest of the consumer. Actually, very little has changed for the consumer. Um, if I look to the, you know, the nearer history, we used to sell mobile for sort of eight and a half p a minute, and our customers would sell that on for for ten p, and the operator was getting like eight point something. Now we're we're giving the operators sort of half a penny. We're selling it for barely more than that, but actually the retail operators are still ta selling it for for, for ten p. So, what you've had this this feigned protection of consumers' interests has simply distorted a market.
it's shifted a ton of margin from you know one element i.e the wholesale side to the retail side and if you look at most um you know most economies if this is happening in places other than the uk which i suspect it is the largest beneficiary of that is the incumbent so you know, we're facing a situation on multiple fronts in telecommunications of re-monopolisation. And looking at things that James said about the, you know, the, the universal service obligation, the, the right to broadband, um, that's great if it's actually executed in a remotely competent fashion, and I don't believe it will be. Um, I, have, I live extremely remotely. Um, I live literally on top of a mountain. My nearest telephone exchange, which is just a tin shed, is eight miles away. Can't get DSL. Um, my house actually runs on sort of 3G and various other things. But I have fibre to the house. And I have fibre to the house because the government gave the incumbent £2 billion pounds to, to roll it out. But £2 billion pounds to roll it out through their deregulated separate subsidiary that is there to service the rest of the telecommunications industry. Can I buy access to that fibre as a telco with a right to do so through said subsidiary? No, I can't. I have to pay to run poles sort of three miles across the countryside because that fibre doesn't exist anywhere other than for the benefit of the incumbent, yet it was paid for by the taxpayer. So these things are very, very good as headlines and sound bites and politicians can look clever and regulators can quote achievements, but the devil really is in the detail with them. Okay, so, so, so the way this changes, just very briefly, the way this changes is if you start paying by the outcome. So you, if you as a consumer start saying, well, I like this product, this thing that has built-in communication, and I will pay for you know, the, 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 the house letting agency that lets me see the thing with a video call or whatever, and you start buying services that have built-in communication that are not... Um, based on on traditional telephony, that will drive the market. Because if you if you're paying, you know, I don't know what the what agency fees are here, but half a percent of your house price based on the fact that they had comms in there, that's a huge amount more than half a cent a minute. Um, th that's where this revolution comes from. Yeah, but okay. My question was how we can put pressure that we move this marriage or break this marriage between telecoms and regulators and get a bit more flexibility to like small guys like us spectrum yeah it's not just yeah, it's not again okay it's that not is one technology thing. it's about political side now maybe i don't know Urban or spectrum uh, we don't go back to technology we know it's about how we can pressure the politicians that are maybe not that technology geeky to allow oh. us do more and break this regulation, I think I know. Yeah, I know. Okay, I, 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 I know how to do that because we, because we've done it. So, so Sebastian, uh, I think generally we we should, or the community that you mentioned should keep challenging. That's also what I kind of try to do, and we have to find peers and operators that do not believe that it's the others who should be regulated more, but that see an opportunity in them being able to explore spaces by being regulated less. Because if you as an operator want to build um, services, communication services, web RDC services, for example, other things, um, you have to follow all the you know, strict rules. And uh, it would be much more helpful for you to innovate if those rules were loosened rather than limiting others um, by tighter regulation uh, and um, trying, to, trying to actually stop innovation in a way. But that won't happen because you know, there will always be a way around it. But I think, yeah, um, 
the innovation or new services or, or deregulation doesn't happen if you put services there that were standardized by operators that were sold by big companies, you know, classic telco vendors. Uh, I, I think that's going to happen when you put their flexible platform with different service approaches and then step-by-step step, operators realize they need to have a bit of less innovation in order to, you know, be successful with new kinds of services, actually. And if you build a WebRTC service and you have to put LI there, whatever it provides or other things like that, it's... it's um, it's kind of limiting. It's it's not it's not an you know it's not an opportunity. I think. And if you if you support the operator by by simple use cases um, with software that does more than just provide you know what the big vendors vendors provide, I think that's a that's a kind of chance for you. But you need people that actually support that. And these people are very rare. What I also I saw in, in inside you know in the operator, it's kind of a it's kind of a challenge to actually find challengers within the operator that would challenge regulators. And I think this can only happen when they see the, the potential of it and the, um, yeah, being kind of their partners in that regard could, could, could help uh, to support that. So, question for the audience. How do you make anything invisible? This is one of these Swedish questions. Well, <laughs> well Nekke, I would expect Simon to know. Uh, haven't you read the Bible, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, about the SEP field, the somebody else's problem field? In our world, the somebody else's problem field that makes things invisible is IP. As long as you give me IP, I can run Asterisk, Camille, I can run WebRTC, I can send mail, I can set up all kinds of services, I can create a business market, I can do anything. Because it hides the layers below, Right? I mean, this is so simple that all of you think, why on earth are, is he talking about IP? Well, the politicians are still down below. They haven't seen this. They're talking about national fiber infrastructure without bothering with giving us access to the fiber in an open way, yes. enabling business models. They're talking about the national radio. They want 3G, now a national movement to 4G. I don't care. Give me IP on any network. If I 4G, fine. If I 5G, fine. My business model is on top of IP. We need to tell the politicians, the authorities, about the IP layer and the layering of the market that will come with that. I see telcos, the incumbent telcos in Sweden, desperately trying to own the whole vertical thing. They're right now moving heavily into e-health because they see they can own the 4G, 5G network. They can own the infrastructure, the identity, the security administration, and provide the services. Walled garden, no. And the government is rushing behind because the incumbent carrier is providing a solution to all problems. And it's so silly. So we need to keep punching. We need to repeat that it's not longer, no longer about the stuff below. Everything needs to be tied together, but we need to protect the right of access to the stuff below, the copper, the fiber, everything. In Sweden, we're fighting hard to make sure that fiber that is subsidized by public money, that anyone has access to it. It shouldn't be fully controlled by the company who puts the fiber in the ground. And that's something we have to make sure that it happens, all of us. Very good. Oh, thank you, James. Thank you.
You, be, I could listen to these people all night, but before we continue or terminate, I just want to ask everybody in the room a favor. If you don't know about what we do, because this is kind of it, only we're a little more focused every Friday, I have... Uh, Printed special business cards. They're on that desk before you go, right near the Wi-Fi instructions. If you don't already know where we are and how to find us, the SIP URI, the URL of the site, and there's an email address there so that you can get your project in front of the world and talk about any topic you like. You can, you can even talk about something that isn't your particular business, but you are passionate about it. it we talk about anything that goes over IP packets. So it doesn't even have to be VoIP. Lighting up stars and green. Uh, anything. We even talk sometimes about colors of, uh, I don't know. We talk about anything. So the cards are there near that Wi-Fi instructions. And now I'm going to ask everybody, uh, first of all, Randy, yeah. can you say the website for the people that watch their live stream? Yeah, I'll say it, but it's written on the card. <laughs> VUC.me. Some people pronounce it Vuck me. I don't, because I don't think that's very nice sound, especially in Germany. Oh, I have many mean looks when I go down to breakfast with my big Vuck me, but only in Germany. So is that actually a word in German? No. Okay. Um, so cards are there, vuc.me, but there's also um, the, as I said, the, there's an email address there, and there's a, um, the SIP URI to call in. So we'd love to have you. And we do, it's video, audio, there's streams, there's everything. Now, anyone out there have any questions or would like to say anything that hasn't been said yet? Otherwise, we'll ask the panel the same question. I don't see any hands, so. Well, I see a lot of hands, but none of them are raised. We're waiting for the beer, so. There we go, thank you. Bit controversial, but I think the most topics I heard about are mostly concerning the UK. Um, How do you think about the European Union in that case? Uh, wouldn't it, uh, would it rather uh, make it worse? Or could it be a possibility to, um, to help in establish standards and establish uh, rights for everyone? UK is still part of UE for one month or so. Yeah. It applies now. But I don't know contracts are signed to... Uh, okay, so I guess it would be more like, does this another layer of bureaucracy with European Union help us or help the others? Yeah, there's, there's a, a live example of that, actually. I mean, just to put cards on the table, I'm fully in favor of, of, of Brexit for, for, for many reasons. But talking of... Um, it's probably not the best place to say that, but... Um, <laughs> Talking of the um, the Snoopers Charter that I was referring to earlier, um, that is considered by those that are fighting it an inevitability. And what they are seeking to do now is just knock some of the sharp edges off it wherever they can because it is too big and it's moving too fast to, to deal with the whole thing. But the one, the one hope are a couple of court cases that are, that are winding their way up to the, to the European court. And... It may well be that Europe, um, you know, decides the entire thing is illegal, um, which would be huge. And, and actually, that fact alone does shift my my view somewhat. Um, so yeah, there are, you know, there are many benefits, and and it is a fairly evenly balanced thing, I think. 
whilst, whilst I respect Simon's uh, wish to, for Britain to leave the, the EU and respect his right to live on a mountain in Wales, uh, it's not, not, not the position I would like to be. I, I'm, I'm proud to be a European and I'm, I'm for staying in Europe. And uh, I, I believe that the way we, uh, we change things in Europe is we engage with the European system rather than just rant at it and say, well, this is rubbish. Uh, we've got to engage and make things happen. So we've got to play the system rather than just exit from it. I think just... Matt, uh, we'll, you want to say well, something? Yeah, go, go. Let's hear an, an American view. Uh, yeah, so actually, this, as y'all have been talking, and I said y'all, so that's a sort of give your impression <laughs> there. Um, as y'all have been talking, I've been thinking about what the sort of American perspective is on this, uh, because we will be completely opposite, certainly. Um, but it's interesting because we've actually sort of seemed to have landed on two different polarizing views on how to treat this problem, because everybody in America hates their providers. I mean, Comcast is a word for shit uh, is, is essentially it, right? You know, if you say your network is Comcastic, everybody nods and says, yes, I know what that means. Um, so there's been two examples where we've sort of landed on possible solutions to it. One actually occurred in a town fairly close to where I live called Chattanooga. Uh, they actually took it on themselves at the local level to build out a municipal broadband. And it was wildly successful. And the reason why that occurred was not because of people like me, um, necessarily. It was actually because the local companies and the mayor decided that they were fed up with the provider. So it was really a chamber of commerce business led sort of initiative that they weren't getting the service that they wanted, and so they went off and created millages and worked at a local level in order to go get that, which is a very American approach to this. They would never go to the state or federal level to solve this problem. They would merely just start building it themselves. Um, unfortunately, this backfired because it was spectacularly successful, and Chattanooga, a bunch of businesses started to move to Chattanooga, and the providers panicked, and so now you've seen at the state and federal level a whole lot of initiatives to try to kill any more municipal broadbands. And so now we're all banking on Google to come in and save us, because Google has started to get into the play on it, and everybody is like hopeful that Google's going to come to their city and introduce a broadband there in order to have a better network, and Huntsville actually just got Google, so we're thrilled. Um, but it, it's very strange that we're really just running from one large company who does this to a different large company who has, isn't traditionally doing this, but we're just going to hope that they're going to be better. So in the UK, there's a bunch of guys called Barn who run um, fiber networks across fields. So basically, if you're a, a small village in the middle of nowhere, pretty much, then you, you and the other small villages along the route to the nearest fiber point get together and your farmers dig trenches and they run fiber. And as recompense for having dug the trench, they get free internet for a couple of years at a gigabit. And, and this, this, this little kind of thing just keeps happening. They slowly build out these networks. And so you find these odd places with gigabit, you know, farmhouses with gigabit fiber. And that is just magic. And I just want to track back to the, the EU thing, which is that the EU has the property that Google and Microsoft have to pay attention. National governments, that's not true. They will steamroller a national government. They've failed so far to steamroller the EU because it's too big to scare. That is the one, over, for me, that's the overriding decision about Brexit or not, is, is that the EU is big enough to frighten off or at least 
hold to a standstill people like Google and people like Facebook and people like um, uh, Microsoft. I mean, historically, that's exactly what happened to Microsoft. No worry, guys. Well, we get Australia in place of UK. They are at Eurovision anyhow, sir. <laughs> <laughs> they all join us. Okay, so just to give an update, I'll let you go, but uh, probably we we'll don't have much time for uh, talking. Still a bit of uh, time. Otherwise, the beer could get... Uh, Warm, <laughs> but that to have in mind that you know we kind of it's still time, but uh, you we also have the video guys. I don't know how long they want us stay and yeah. participate. Otherwise, some people can of course continue the discussion. Uh, we, some of us, will, but it's not the moment to move. But uh, no longer. Okay, who will have Ole? Yeah, I was just gonna say to. You guys, that as always, we're in Sweden, are way ahead of you. And by the way, I'm a bit offended that I can't vote about the British exit. I think the rest of Europe has to have an opinion here as well. But I would love to have tax-free back in England for the gins. Anyway, uh, we had for a long time this rural projects coming together, getting you money and funding it by digging. Even had a bakery funding her part by providing coffee and cookies for the person who did the digging. What's happening now is rather scary because the original enthusiasm has died and some of these guys think it's too hard to be operators and now there's a big move amongst a couple of companies, one of them is the old incumbent carrier, to buy everything and get back to incumbent carrier status on broadband. So there's an aggregation happening which is really scary because At that point, they own the network, they provide a single service, and they kind of fake giving other service providers access, but not on the same terms. So it's kind of scary uh, right now. Uh, the battle of owning the fiber is going on, and some of these local communities are giving up in that battle. And that's uh, really sad. And that's exactly the topic I've got to bring up. I've got a first-hand experience of that in the city that I live in for Tacoma, Washington. Our public utility, uh, 20-something years ago, we had no options for cable TV, no options for internet or any of the other in this city. And it's just outside of Seattle. And so the public utility laid the fiber, laid the coax, and started running their own system. And then finally we got competition into the city. And right now, over the last year and a half to two years, the city's trying to f figure out what to do with this fiber. Because this, the environment is, there's a very lack of risk I found from the local politicians to be able to make a move like Chattanooga or something without, uh, which, what those cities took was large grants to uh, install the fiber. But in, for instance, in Tacoma, the fiber is already there and the vast majority of it's already paid for. But the question is whether or not the city will be able to uh, support itself on the operating revenues. And what's come out from that is we've had large, uh, large other telcos suddenly start advertising very cheap, very fast broadband throughout the city, trying to, to make the potential expansion of the project uh, much more scary. Except when you call and ask for the service that was advertised, it won't be available. So I, I've experienced this firsthand, and it's a very big frustration. Okay, so... Thanks, everybody. That was very, very interesting, as always. And we'll see you next year. Maybe. Well, actually, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Go ahead, Simon. I think you wanted to... Yeah, yeah I, I probably won't get a microphone tomorrow, so I just want to take opportunity. Um, will you join with me in thanking Daniel and Elena Ramona for what is the, the biggest and best Camellia world we've, we've had yet? Here, here. Yeah.
Absolutely. Many, many thanks. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is provided by OnSIP.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week.